It's the end of an era. The information age has casualties. 411 is going out of service for millions of people. No more operators. Want to know a phone number or some other information? The Internet is your best bet. Decades ago, dialing 411, or zero, would connect you to what was called information. According to Josh Lauer, professor at the University of New Hampshire, the operator was the Internet before the Internet. Operator services were part of life since the late 1800s. But AT&T in the U.S. is ending the service for all its landline customers. Their wireless phones already phased it out. Other carriers still offer the service for a fee, but for how much longer? The places where we find information are changing, except for one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Welcome to Haven Today. Here it is Wednesday. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And all this week, we're in a series called Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. Some people say a man is made out of mud. Poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store A number one hit song for Tennessee Ernie Ford, all the way back to 1955, called 16 Tons. My late father loved Ernie Ford, a song reflecting on the challenges of trying to earn a living in a fallen world. I wonder if you've ever sung the tune as you were driving to work and you're old enough to remember it, especially in these times of deep inflation. With our dollars not going as far as they did even last year or a few months ago, Sometimes we might feel like we're another day older and deeper in debt. And that's why this week I wanted to think more about money and Jesus and how we as Christians are to think about it. In a moment, we'll be joined again by Dr. Ben Witherington. He's going to help us think about the myth that if we're struggling financially, it's because we just don't have enough faith. And then we'll turn our eyes to the words of Jesus again in Matthew chapter 6. It is a key chapter for all of us that we need to hear again, especially those who might be struggling financially right now. And I know many of us are. But first, I want you to hear an email I received from a friend of mine. I'm not going to say his name. He wanted to remain anonymous. And he knows what it's like to live in abundance as well as to lose it all in his business. And now I must say he's got a great job at a more modest salary and he's serving the Lord. Well, he shared with me what the Lord has taught him in his life living in Pennsylvania regarding finances, faith, and his walk with Jesus. Good morning, Charles. Thanks for your invitation to give brief insight on what the Lord has taught me during financial losses. Here is what I would say about some things God has taught me through my financial circumstances. God gives grace in all circumstances, not just financial. I've lost a lot in this life. My joy does not and should not come from what I have, 
nor should I allow sorrow to creep into my life from what I lack or have lost. In times of loss, I am tempted to think or believe that God is dealing harshly with me when the sun is not shining every day or my paths are not smooth, but I refuse to believe and focus on such thinking. When I feel I have been dealt a difficult situation and it causes me to look at others who seem to be prospering, I am reminded to look downward at those who are worse off than me. Many of my fellow Christians are indeed much worse than I am. I've learned to recognize and submit to the sovereignty of God. I live with an eye focused on eternity. Over the years, this focus has increased and I do not think it is just related to getting older. Sometimes it takes a long time for self to be conquered. Blessing and thanks. That's a friend of mine who's dealt with financial loss, and he's also done very well in his life. But he's depending on Jesus right now, and I hope you are as well. This is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris. Jesus and the high price of eggs is what we're calling the program. And after the program, I'd like to send you a copy of Ben Witherington's book called Jesus and Money. It's drawn straight out of Scripture. And I can say, and I need to tell you, It's the best book on money I've ever read. And I think it will not only bless you, but help you deal with your heart and money from a God-centered perspective. Call us after the program, 800-65-HAVEN. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or let me make another suggestion to you. Go online, and there on our website, we've put up a sample chapter out of the book. See what I mean? And then request your copy that we'll send you for your gift to the ministry. Your copy of Jesus and Money, they're at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And now we open the program with Kristen Getty and Heather Headley. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? And why should 
to the shadows come Why should my heart, my heart feel so lonely And alone for heaven It's the current number one version of the many that are out there on Spotify of this song. His eye is on the sparrow. I think I first heard that watching a Billy Graham crusade program years ago as a child. Kristen Getty with Heather Headley opening this Haven today on this Wednesday, right in the middle of January. And we're continuing in a series, Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. And I'm so glad you've joined me. If there is anything that is on all of our minds these days, I would have to say it's the economy, inflation, and our own personal finances. To say we're being put under the squeeze might even be an understatement, isn't it? Even for Christians, it can be a source of stress. And I know it's tempting to listen to the voices of TV preachers telling you if you just have enough faith, you'll have all the earthly riches you can imagine. But this is not, I repeat, not what the Bible teaches. It isn't what our Savior tells us. Well, with me again today is a very famous New Testament scholar. He knows his Bible, and his name is Dr. Ben Witherington. Ben, there's this commonality out there among Christians. Of if you just have enough faith, you're going you're gonna to get... Fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, that's 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 not what Scripture teaches, is it? No, it, it, it certainly is not. In the first place, God's not going to give you anything that is clearly contrary to his will, unless he gives it to you as a test to see how badly you're going to fail. <laughs> okay. That's number one. Number two, God wants you to develop good godly judgment. So, you know, no prayers like Janice's Joplin's, uh, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No prayers mm-hmm. like that, thank you. 
especially in a world full of starving children. Mm -hmm. No prayers like that, thank you. That's just too narcissistic or self-centered. No prayers like that. But here's the other thing. The assumption that God is going to do something for you uh, on the basis of the quantity of your faith? Well, in fact, the New Testament says even if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, all kinds of things are possible. So it's not about how much faith you have or how little faith you have. No preacher should be telling you, well, you know, you didn't win the lotto because you just didn't have enough faith. <laughs> you know, that, that should never be the case. <laughs> so, Ben, what does the Bible really teach us about faith? All right, let's talk a minute about saving faith. Saving faith is not a faith of somebody who's already a Christian. Saving faith, as in being justified by grace through faith, may be a very infant kind of faith. It may just be saying, Lord, help me. Mm -hmm. I need to be yours. I'm not yours. Help me. I mean, that is no gigantic faith. It's no gigantic leap. It's a surrender is what it really is. I love the story about C.S. Lewis. He says that there was a day when he was in Maudlin College at Oxford and sort of God backed him into a corner. And he says, and on that day, I became the most reluctant convert in all of Christendom. Right. That's not what I call, you know, great is thy faithfulness. No, no, it's not. It's not. That's okay. I surrender, God. I surrender. I yield. Stop cannonading in my direction. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be yours. Well, the truth of the matter is that that has to do with saving faith. But it is also true that Paul lists, for those who are already Christians, faith as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what is he talking about? Paul's concept of enough. He says, I've learned how to live with a lot. I've learned how to live without. Here's the thing, says Paul. I've learned how to be content and godly in whatever my situation is, even if I'm suffering. I mean, wow. Mm -hmm. No, Paul yes. is not a whiner. He's not, mm -hmm. woe is me. He says, I've learned how to live with and I've learned how to without. Have Christians in the late Western world learned how to live without? Have they really? Maybe they need to go through a good depression for a while and learn just how important their resources are and how they distribute them, how important that is. Maybe that's a lesson God would teach us now. Oh, Ben, it's been too many years since we had you on the air. That, that, uh, that humor of yours that came from your roots, it just always comes through. And then added to that, the scholarship. I so appreciate you. Thank you for being with us and sharing your unhaven today. My blessing. This is Haven Today, the program, Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. I'm Charles Morris. You know, Ben is right. A lot of our problems as modern-day Western Christians comes from having the wrong priorities, or at least having our priorities in the wrong order. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Yesterday, I read the famous words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, 
Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But what did Jesus say to do? But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you just knew we'd have to come back to this chapter, didn't you? Because after all, this isn't all Jesus had to say. A few short verses later, he tells us, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Back in those days, the heart meant something very specific. And I'm not talking about the muscle in your chest that pumps blood. No, the idea of the heart to them was the center of a person. Your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires coming out of your heart. So when Jesus says your heart will be where your treasure is, he's making a pretty profound point. As my friend Ben Wetherington says, whatever you count as treasure, whatever you value most, will determine your life's orientation what you do with your time, money, and other resources. And that's a really big deal, isn't it? And that's why Jesus has such strong words. Money can be your master, and you can be its slave. And when you look at history, apparently some first century slaves did have two masters. And you can almost imagine them, can't you? Running from place to place, from master to master, never able to give one thing their full attention. So when Christ says that we can't serve two masters, God and money, what he's telling us is that either God is Lord of all things or he isn't. There is no in-between, no third option available to you. But of course, our God is the Lord of everything. He made all things. He's upholding all things and he owns all things. He even owns you and me. And that's why it's such a bad thing when we let money master us, when we seek after wealth and riches as much or more than we seek after our Lord. Jesus went on in Matthew 6. The Sermon on the Mount was not over yet. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I can't speak for you, but I find that to be both a comforting passage of Scripture, 
as well as a convicting passage of Scripture, both at the same time. When I listen to Jesus say these things, I feel my heart burning within me, because it's true. If the Lord of all things can clothe the flowers and feed the birds, then surely he can take care of me. And notice what our Lord did not say. He didn't say that if we seek first the kingdom of heaven, then we will have riches and wealth. All of our wildest dreams will come true. No, Jesus was talking about life's necessities, food and clothing, the things we need to survive on this earth. Remember, the Bible doesn't say that money itself is evil, but the love of money is what gets us into trouble. How often do you and I run around fretting about money? And all the while, we're watching well-fed birds fly past our windows, and we're driving alongside fields of beautiful flowers. God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of us, his children? If Christ came to earth and lived, died, and rose again for us, if he ascended into heaven and is interceding for us, and if he will one day return to take us to be with him forever, then of course God will take care of us on this earth. He will provide our needs, and maybe not everything we want or think we need, but Jesus was telling his disciples that they shouldn't be preoccupied with wealth and riches and the concerns of the world. That isn't where our trust should lie. Our aim needs to be higher than that, because we have Jesus after all. And we know that our Father knows our needs even better than we do. And he's already proved that he's loving and good. So my question to you today, are you trusting in him, no matter the high price of eggs? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know. Thus saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus How I trust Him How I proved You more and more Jesus, Jesus Precious Jesus Oh, for grace To trust Him so glad I learned to trust him precious Jesus Savior friend and I know that he is with me will be with me to the end Jesus Jesus how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Casting crowns from their glorious day hymns of faith album, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. 
I'm Charles Morris, and all week we've been talking about Dr. Ben Witherington's book called Jesus and Money, A Guide for Times of Financial Crisis. In this book, he explores what Jesus had to say about money. doesn't get better than that. Some of it a little challenging. But he also gave us great encouragement, like what we heard today in Matthew 6. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. How do we deal with these things in a world that teaches happiness can only come from things money can buy? Jesus spent money. It's the best book I've read that helped me, and I know it'll help you sort through what the scriptures teach about how to use money for God's glory. And your life will be better off from it, I can assure you. If you'd like to have a copy of Ben's book, Jesus and Money, A Guide for Times of Financial Crisis, it's a rare as well as eye-opening book on how we need to perceive money through the eyes of our Lord. Why don't you call us right now? Make a gift to the ministry out of what the Lord has provided you, but ask for a copy of Jesus and Money. You can do it at 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. You can also go online and look at the sample chapter. And if you like what you read, and I think you will if you're a Bible-minded Christian, then just make your gift and ask for the book. They're at haventoday.org. And one more thing, we still have Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for your gift to the ministry. A great way to be rooted in God's Word daily. Ask about it when you call. Read more about it online, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again together we'll be sharing the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. What's in a name? Most of us had to read Shakespeare's famous Romeo and Juliet in high school, so that question surely rings a bell. The Montagues and the Capulets, just names describing two feuding families. The point that tragic romance was trying to make was that names are arbitrary. It doesn't really matter if you're a Montague or a Capulet, because love doesn't work that way. And that's right, but on a much more profound level, names are important. The most important thing about any of us is what we're called by the Lord, and in Christ he calls us son, daughter, beloved. What's in a name? Nothing. Anyone who can come to Christ, but also everything, life, eternity, in Jesus' name. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.